Hello, my name is Mark Searby and I'm a film critic, broadcaster and author of Al Pacino, The Movies Behind the Man. Thanks for clicking play on episode two of All About Al, the Pacino podcast. On this episode, I talk to actor Martha Keller about co-starring with Al Pacino in the romantic melodrama Bobby Deerfield. The film was directed by Sidney Pollock and released in 1977. Pacino plays American race car driver Bobby Deerfield, who's racing on the European circuits. Away from the racetrack, Deerfield falls for the impulsive and eccentric Lillian Morelli. But their love takes on added depth when he discovers her tragic secret. The film was panned by critics, and audiences just didn't turn up for this, making only $9.3 million in North America. It also turned out to be Pacino's first flop at the box office. The film rarely gets spoken about nowadays. However, now you'll hear from Martha Keller about the film. She discusses how she got the role while wearing tennis shoes, how she lost her hair while playing the character, her relationship with Pacino on screen and off, and also what she thinks to the film all these years later. Before the interview begins, I just want to make a mention about the audio quality. The interview was conducted over the phone, a rarity these days, so the quality of the audio isn't as clear as what modern interviews usually are when they're done via an online video audio platform. So while the sharpness of the audio quality might not be as good as previous episodes, I think the interview responses from Martha more than make up for that. So here it is, All About Al, the Pacino podcast, episode two, with actor Martha Keller discussing Bobby Deerfield. So I guess I want to start back at the beginning before Bobby Deerfield right. is that am I right in thinking before you'd been cast in Bobby Deerfield you had only done a couple of English language films before that exactly I did Marathon Man and was shooting uh, Black Sunday when Sidney Pollack called and said that he would like to do a movie with me but it is not only up on him to decide, it's also up on Al Pacino. So he asked me if I could go and see him. And it was Easter and I was free, I didn't shoot those two days. So I went to to New York to, to meet him. And Sidney told me, please don't wear high heels because he's not very tall. <laughs> So I went with my tennis shoes. And then, unfortunately, at those days, there were like door, uh, uh, boys who went, when you had the telephone, somebody called you, he went with, a, with your name on in the coffee shop we met. Um, it was in the Park Lane Hotel on the first floor. There was a coffee shop. And he... And I saw my name on, so I didn't want to get up because I thought I don't get the part if you see how tall I am. <laughs> so he said, they look for you on the, phone, uh, on the phone. So I had to go, and then I was half 
blending down. I looked like I, I was limping, and she said, something wrong with your legs. I said, no, no, but I'm tall. I didn't want to stand up. No, <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I would never get the pass. But anyway, um, we talked right away for hours and hours, and uh, I, know, I don't know, it was a, an uncomplicated meeting. It was really easy going, but because I... Because of my size, I thought, no, it, it will never work. He will never accept that. And then when I left uh, the place, uh, half an hour after, I got already a phone call from Sydney Pollack and said, it went okay, because I thought it didn't work. <laughs> so anyway, and then we met again on when we were rehearsing in Paris. By that point, had they given you a copy of the source novel by Elric Remarque at all? It's so funny. You're good. You're good. You are really good because nobody, even I, does not know that it's a uh, Because Sidney told me that. And I know uh, from the Remarque, the, the book, but a long time before, I didn't reread it. But I know the book, and it was... Um, Heaven doesn't have favorites. I think was the title. Yes, that's um, correct. Yes, and uh, the story. I love the story so much. But I didn't read. I didn't read it again when I got uh, the script. I wanted to stay on the script and not on the book. But I read it before, twenty years when I was in school. When you were cast as Lillian, what what did you see her as like as a character? How did you look at the character when you were reading that on the page and think, I'm going to play her like this? You know, it's a funny thing. I I didn't think only of um, of the character. I thought this is like a metaphor to countries. One is a baby, which is America, 200 years, and the other one is 2000. So the, the leading man is a symbol of that country, completely insecure and depressed mm. <laughs> and successful and everything. And she is this old, almost snub uh, from Europe, thinking that she knows so much. And even if she's sick, she wants to live, and she is not sick, and she wants to die. Or he, he's playing with death. It was on the edge all the time. It's a very depressed person. So I thought it was like a metaphor between two, two countries also. Um, one full of security because of the past, and because of that kind of security, a little bit snob. Uh, knowing that we thinking we know so much, and the other country is a baby, a little bit like uh, limping, you know, not really, um, not really to. Uh, I don't know if I explain what I thought. Uh, it came to me like that, like a symbol, and it also then because of the story of this uh, two different of the countries was also uh, for me her. Um, somebody who really is alive, but she's dying, and she's living, and she's depressed. I just think, for example, I, I, I thought it was a little tiny bit sad that she did not 
do what I don't know if it was in the book or in the first script that he helped her to die in the end. And Sidney said, no, that's not good for the audience in America. We should leave her of a natural death. And I thought it would be much stronger. I also said to him, when she flirts with this guy with the salami, she should make love. We shouldn't see it, but we should feel that they make love. And he said, no, that's terrible for the audience in America. And I said, this is so hopeless. She's dying. Everything what she does is for the last time. If you film only the face when she she would cry when she does it, she would have tears. You know, I thought it, it could have been a little bit more edgy, a little bit more edgy, everything. But um, Sydney also was like Bobby Deerfield. Um They were very similar. They have different views of the character, but they're both American. Do you think, Ben, that um, part of the problem was... Sydney was torn between what he made, which is ultimately a European movie, a 1970s yeah. European art house movie, but he had that stigma of making an American big blockbuster because he had Al Pacino in it. You got it. That was from the beginning, beginning of the problem. There, there was, I love Sydney so much. You see, I don't even say I loved. I loved. I, it's like he's still here. I love him so much. But he had a lot of calculation always with, no, the American audience wouldn't. No, this is not for the American. Um, you know, European people, they don't care. They just do the movie if they like or not. You know, it's more, more uh, taking a risk. Like, uh, you know, like what she says to Bobby Tierfield, take a risk. It, 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 there were scenes in which I thought, Al always said to me, I don't know if he meant it really, that it was one of his closest movies to him, the character. Mm. Because he was, when he did it, in a kind of state of a um, little bit depressed. So uh, I shouldn't say that, that's him to say, it, but uh, he mentioned it in other, so I can't say it. So it was very important that I thought there were scenes in there were, for example, when he goes, he runs and then suddenly he goes to this garden where this priest is and sits down and said, I just want to talk to someone. When I saw, when, even if I think of that scene, I could cry. There were moments in there were so, so profound and so... Like we never saw Al because he plays those characters with, you know, acting. Not he never acts, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, he plays the character, but there is almost like it was himself. And there were some moments which I really thought um, that it was sad that the whole movie was not like that. Mm. I still like it. I still. You know, it's a very funny thing. My closest friends were Patrick Chero and Luke Bondi. Both are directors stage. And they were, they loved that movie. So I have a lot of intellectual people in France who loved that movie. And I thought it was a failure when it came out, of course. Mm. But I, I was surprised how many 
deep, intelligent, and sensitive people love that story. It's very funny. So I don't know. I can't be... Uh, I'm not very objective, you know. I, I never see movies anyway where I'm in, so I never like what I do, and so it's a little bit... But uh, there were moments in, I remember, which I deeply thought that they were very, very powerful. I was going to say, I can imagine that um, it's a very difficult movie to sell to anybody when you have the two central characters who are deeply in love with each other, but deeply depressed, and sadly one of them is dying as well. Yeah, exactly. How do you... As an actor, go through something like that. You know, you don't think you do it, but just to say that sometimes your subconscious wakes you up and you lose your hair. Because I, I was before we started the movie, I wanted to see some people who have this same cancer. Um, I saw a woman; she always had her hand in her hair and looked at the hair between her finger, even if they were not there. She knows she would lose them. It was, and I have that like a tick. I did that two, three times in the movie. And I ended up that myself, I lost my hair. So that's how you leave a card. Even if you say, oh, no, you just take it for what it means and you play and you don't take it home. But the subconscious did it to me. Mm. You know, those little things, I really um, have nightmares and things, but not on the set. On the set, uh, no. It's a, you know, you, it's part of our, what we do. It, 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 we, we don't play only comedies, comedies and um, it's not only uh, entertaining, it's also... But you said something so true because... That's exactly what, what I felt, that he was scared about the subject. He was so attracted by it, but because Sidney was a deep depressed person. But um, he also hides it. But he, he was such a wonderful man, as what a wonderful work, and a wonderful human being. But it was something so sad. But it didn't have the same sadness. And there, it was not always um, honeymoon between clothes both of them, but I was used with John Schrezing and Dustin Hoffman, the same problem. I think that very often the directors see the leading part as themselves in a way, or they have a certain idea how it is, because most of the directors were actors too. And sometimes it's not what the actors who are hired to do that job uh, agree with what the other one, so it's sometimes a little bit Different. So it's not the same thing with a woman and a director. Hmm. Because they leave you more alone. They, because they don't know women, really. But men know men. <laughs> so sometimes there's a little bit like a competition. Uh, not in a superficial in the out. It's, it's very, it's very, very um, subtle. I mean, I did notice that. Uh, when I was researching my book several years ago, that there was comments that Al and Sydney had fallen out after filming had finished because they both had different visions for certain parts of the movie, and especially the ending as well. Lillian's 
death as well. So I'm curious. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's a death. That could be more. Yes. Yes, I know. But you know, as an actress and unknown, um, you don't, I'm not living in America, uh, you don't have the same responsibility. It's not the same thing for me. I left it between them. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So for them, it was much more. Um, there was more resting on their shoulders than itself. Much more, because both were known. I was not known, mm-hmm. so it, it was for me not so heavy. So I didn't. I know that there was. Uh, I, I I just felt all the time there was some clouds between them. With a lot of respect, I love Sydney. It's not that. It's just they don't see the same. They didn't really see the same movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, moving away from that. Um, Madame Keller, I want to ask you about actually working with Al, you know, because even though, as we've discussed, both of those characters are depressed, what was it like working with Al? Was it fun? Was there times where it was fun on this movie? In a funny way, in a very strange way, it was funny, yes, because um, there was something between us was um, the theatre. And Al, when we travelled, and we travelled a lot, uh, he just went on with Shakespeare nonstop and uh, had all his monologues and we were discussing, and I was just doing Hamlet with Patricio. So there was a lot of complicity in working on stage. And we had such a, a good time about how we see the work. And that was really funny. And, that was good. Um, I had wonderful memories about this movie. Um, even if I know uh, that certain things didn't really uh, were not perhaps exactly like I thought it could have been. And uh, I think also in the life, there is a documentary movie about Al, which was on Arte, you know, Arte is a very good uh, television station between Germany and France. Yes. And there was, it's called From the Bronx to the Hollywood, or I don't know what was, uh, about Al. And he mentioned that his, Dwabidiafield was his closest part, because he, he went through the same pain, he stopped drinking, he had a lot of problems at that time, and he went through a lot, and he was completely, uh, he's not sophisticated with traveling, and he was not home anymore, so he was com- he was a little bit, not lost, he's not lost, but uh, everything was a little bit confusing and uh, to him, because not being home, when he went to so different stages. So I think it, ha- it was... It was perfect for the part, too. And this uh, eternal um, state of mind he has about being a celebrity and loving and hating it. Uh, when the scene, when I said uh, Bobby Deerfield, you know, but, you know, when 
Nobody recognizes him until I, I shout his name. It's a wonderful it's, scene. It's very funny. It's very funny, and it is it is a, a little bit odd, you know, <laughs> that he doesn't want to be, and when he's not, he gets very nervous when he's not recognized. So it's, um, it's yeah, it's a lot of things, tiny little things are in this movie, which unfortunately really was a failure, but... Um, uh, yeah, it is what it was. I, I think still there are beautiful things in it. Let me ask you about the actual driving of the F1 cars, because at the time, Al had not passed his test at no, all. No, they have somebody lying uh, on the floor and <laughs> putting his, <laughs> instead of his food on it, and it was just hilarious. It was like being in a circus. <laughs> he had just the hand on the wheels and behaved like... But you see, after he bought the car, he started to drive in New York. But before, he didn't. Right. <laughs> I forgot that you right. <laughs> because the actual um, footage of the race cars in action were from real F1 drivers, including James Hunt and Mario Andretti, which are big, big F1, not drivers, but I would say stars around the world. So to get them into that movie, I think was a huge, huge boost for it as well. It's true. It's true. It's true. And they just feel his eyes, you know, how concentrate and how the sadness and the concentration in the same time. Uh, It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of footage in the movie directly on Owl's eyes. Now, I know they yes. they did that in The Godfather and certainly in Serpico as well. But do you think it's that magnetism from those eyes that transcend past the screen? Yes. I think there's something... I, I don't know what it is... Um, for me, it's still the the most important. What, what is a good actor? It's a question of taste. It's not like a sportsman who you know he won. We know the result. It's just he was faster. The, I always feel funny when they get an Oscar or when they have a palm, golden palm and can because it's a question of taste. It's not. Nobody agrees. Uh, it's not anonym. In sport, it's anonym. You know, it's when the tennis player, you know, just the point. But uh, with Al, there's something which I just think is happens to the soul of his Al. Al is not what people think he is. He takes something from so far, from so. It's. I saw the other day a, a, a picture again when he was one year old. It was the still eyes. What I'm doing here? <laughs> what, what I'm doing in this world? Why I'm here? It's so, he's so intelligent, but he's so naive. And he's so, and that nobody knows that he's naive. But there's something very shy. Nobody knows that too, that he's shy. He's shy. And then he plays, uh, there's so many colors. It's, it's just, that's why he's an, for me, the greatest actor. It's um, he's difficult. He's very difficult, but he's such the price. It's just 
going on here. And she never talks. We, we talked about scenes and things, but it was a lot of moon talk. You know, it's not like the Dustin, it was more reality. Fact, mm. fact, we went uh, to see people in the street, we wanted to learn, we talked, it was more outside, Alice more inside. So it's a lot of moon talk, which I sometimes I don't understand the word, what he says. And uh, in the other one, it comes from another place. It comes from somewhere. Just unbelievable. Just, and it's all in his eyes. It's all in his eyes. It's like the eyes are like opening to the soul. It's just unbelievable. And um, it says more than all the lines he delivers. Think again about that scene when he's the priest. He, he can't see. I, 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 he cannot really look at him. He looks a little bit. I just need to talk to someone, but he looks away. He can't. So he's it's mixed of shyness of wanting to share and want in the same time want to be alone. It's all everything is in. It's so complicated. It's so complicated. I can't. He's so on the edge all the time, but now it's different. I guess you could look at that and say, well, sometimes that's what makes brilliant actors, is that they have to go to the edge and sometimes beyond to find it. I mean, you were mentioning there, obviously, Al was at a very difficult point in his life during that point, but uh, during the making of Bobby Deerfield, but then pulled back from it. I, I question whether we would have got the same type of performance if he wasn't at that level. Yes, you're absolutely right. The greatness about him is that you don't feel as a partner, you don't feel that he's depressed. He says it, but you don't feel it. And a lot of people don't, uh, 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 don't say it, but you feel it. It's very, very funny because it's like, like something... There's a lot of things I hate with him, but there's such an elegance not to show, not to put yourself down with that depression. He has to, he's the most funny, funniest man I know. I love, I love, he's so, he should have done comedies. He is so funny. So sometimes when he's too funny, it's because he's depressed. Because it's like, it's not, he's always funny without being cynical. It's very rare. I, lo I know a lot of people who are funny, but it's so ironic, like Billy Wilder and things like that. It's so ironic. But I'm not. He's really deep down funny. But behind this also, uh, that he doesn't want to show. He's full of secrets, which is better to see it from far away. <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> you mentioned there that um, he's a funny guy, because... In his early days, he did want to, he wanted to be a clown. That's what he told his mom when he was growing up. He wanted to be a clown. And she told him, you can't be a clown because there's, you know, there's no longevity in that. Then he wanted to do comedy and then obviously fell into doing dramatic roles for, for decades. And when he did try to do comedy early on in his career, it didn't work. But now, if you look at something like stand-up guys, which he's very funny in. And there's other movies he's done where he's very funny in them as well. It's a shame we didn't get to see it's the comedy. Very funny. The scene in, Irish, in The Irishman, when the guy is late and comes to the interest with Shaw, do you remember? Yes. 
Al, Al is so funny. He is so funny. There's something else about him which I never saw on somebody else. He doesn't care. He doesn't give a damn how he looks. He looks terrible in The Irishman. <laughs> he looks terrible. It's weak. It's terrible. I couldn't watch him. But I watched his acting. And he doesn't even know. And when he is elegant, like in Bobby Gifford, when he has that suit on, he's so elegant. He doesn't know how wonderful he looks. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. He does not care about those things. He is a real artist. He's such an anarchist. He is so more in... His weakness is also that he wants to be kind. He wants to be liked by everybody. But I know that he was, when he was young, very, very shy. He didn't like to go out on, on social things. And I was so unhappy. I remember when the opening night from Bobby Deerfield, uh, it was a big party in the tavern in the green, and I bought a little black dress. I was so happy. I went to to, to hair dress, which I never do, but I was so happy to go there. And when he came home, he said, if, we, if you go tonight, it's finished between us. So I, I started to cry. I took my little, all this little thread, uh, uh, black dress away and stayed home. And so it was, for me, it was terrible. Because uh, he could afford it because he was a star, but for me, really, it didn't help me. It said uh, who she thinks she is not coming to the opening night. It was not good. I, I can, I totally understand that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I don't want to delve any more in that because, you know, that's a really sad story, unfortunately. I wanted to, I've got a couple more questions. And one of them, obviously, you touched on a moment ago, which was about how Bobby Deerfield didn't do well at the box office at all. And I was just wondering, why do you think that is? Is it going back to the fact that some some countries were waiting for one thing from the film and others from another, or was it just because it wasn't working at that time? I have no clue. I have no idea. I I, I think the movie is perhaps not not good enough, or, or perhaps they are missing things. Or it's just the only thing I don't understand is that, well, like I said before, that uh, a lot of my dear, dear friends and who are really intelligent people and not just uh, entertaining uh, movie goers, they, they just love uh, their cinephiles. They love that movie, so it must still have some good things in it. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, but I never can judge a movie where I'm in because I, I always hate what I do. So I, I I don't know why it didn't work. I don't know. I noticed that uh, the film critic Roger Ebert, when he reviewed it, actually gave it a really good review. He said it's a big, slick melodrama with great craft. So there is, there was, at the time when the movie came out, a lot of love for it. And I think, as you've just pointed out about your friends, there still is some love for this yeah. movie. Oh. Really, I hear that so often, and they don't say that to make me because they know that they are very honest. Uh, I have friends who really tell me this is not good, or mm. I'm sorry. You know, definitely later they can. When something, uh, when you have an opening night, nobody will say this is bad. They say it later on that they don't want to hurt when it's all for child. 
So they say that from the beginning until the end, they always said uh, when they see it on television or something, that it's a very special movie. It's a very special love story. And it's a shame that I don't, more um, people have not seen it as well, I that's think. That's true. Yeah. And you know how it is. Once it's not a success, people think it was not good. Mm. And then they don't go. They have no... That's true. But um, for me, it's just amazing how many people loved it. Let me go on to actually my final question, which is about Al and emotions and range and acting. And I just want to ask you, what's your personal favorite Al Pacino movie? Okay, it's so um, classic, what I say, but it's Godfather. Godfather is really... I mean, I like all the... I like Doctor Afternoon. I, I like all of But I have to say that some themes of Al in Bobbitier film are for me the closest I know of. And that's why, if I could say, just scenes out of a movie are for me in Bobbitier film. That's very strange in a movie which didn't do it. Martha Keller discussing the film Bobby Deerfield there. I'm thankful to Martha for taking the time to discuss working on that film. And I'm also thankful to her for being so open and honest throughout, even when she touched on her personal life with Pacino. Discussing private lives doesn't really interest me. I'm all about the work that Al Pacino has done on screen and on stage. However, I left in the points that Martha was making about their private life, as I think it added greater depth to the discussion around the film and their friendship all these decades later. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, then please do get in touch. You can find me on X, aka Twitter, on Instagram and on Blue Sky, or you can contact me via my website, MarkSearby.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast for all future episodes. Until next time.